there aren't any laws against things that people don't want because you don't need the law, right? If we created a society where people felt loved and supported and they knew all these amazing options they had once they became pregnant, who cares about abortion? It's not even on the list. Hello and welcome back to Beyond the Bulletin. My name is Nate Hoffman. I am the Communications and Development Coordinator here at St. Anthony of Padua. And I am joined today by Deacon Graybeard himself. <laughs> Deacon Mike Crawl. What's up, Deacon? I'm all right. Uh, I, I, however, you did make me look in the mirror a little bit today and go, oh yeah, it really is a gray beard. <laughs> oh, Dang. <laughs> I forgot I sent you the template. I always write out my nicknames for people when they come on. So uh, you saw this yesterday, yeah. I suppose. I'm uh, so sorry about that, but it's the truth. Yeah, you, no. you got a great regal beard. I, it's funny. I never thought of myself as a beard person. I, I just—it was just an experiment in 1999, and and now I can't get rid of it. You've had that beard for 20 plus years. Well, it, it, it grew. It was a goatee, and then okay. and then you know little by little, and then it was it, I grew it out all the way all over my face, but kept it real short, and then a few years ago just let it go. It's it, it it looks great. Uh, I've had this beard for for uh, for five years or okay. so. Enough so that my wife has never seen my chin. Uh, really, she never will. Really, I I like. I think it was Fidel Castro <laughs> who said that uh, his beard a lot gives him fifteen minutes every morning because uh, he does, he's not shaving uh, every single every single day. So it's a time saving device. Is and I don't take many much advice from Fidel Castro, but that. <laughs> I'm like, I'm in on that. He's, I, I agree. And I mean, you know, razor cuts, what's that? <laughs> I want to be, you know, the aftershave, everything. Right. So uh, you've been on the pod before. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone seems to know who you are. You're, you're, the, uh, you're one of our deacons. You, how, how many Sunday masses are you serving? Every single weekend? Are you, are you up there in some fashion or another? No, not every weekend. In fact, last weekend I was I I, I wasn't here. So um, yeah, the deacons are usually here pretty much every week. But um, there's there's occasional times where you, you look at the calendar and go, oh my gosh, I'm not serving this weekend. What do, how, how do I handle my life? Do you what do just I do? sit in the pews then that weekend? You know what? Um, that's funny. I've never since a year before ordination, I have never sat in a pew at St. Anthony. So usually what I'll do is if I'm gonna if I'm gonna be at St. Anthony, I feel like I need to serve. That's my parish, and that's where I'm assigned. And I feel like if I'm gonna show up for mass, I should be on the altar. Um, but um, yeah, sometimes I'll go to a visit a neighboring parish or something and show up there. That's got to be a weird experience after a while to like listen to a homily from everyone else's vantage point or or the Eucharistic prayer. You guys are you know yeah. Well, taking cups and washing dishes yeah. and turning pages and stuff. And yeah, I feel a little lazy. Like, <laughs> yeah. I feel like I feel like the rest, up there. You know, feel like the rest of us. We're all just listening. <laughs> yeah, or, or, or even uh, one time one time recently I, I was in the, in the pews and, you know, let's, let us offer each other the sign of peace. I was like, wait, what are they doing nowadays? I don't even know. <laughs> what are we doing nowadays? Yeah. That's a great question. I'm fist bumping some people. I'm nodding vigorously yeah. at some people. Yeah. Uh, some people, I, I feel I'm, I'm shaking hands. I don't know what we're doing. Yeah. So Deacon Mike, um, we asked you here on the on the podcast today because it's, uh, it's January. I don't know if this is the pro-life month. I don't know if the pro-life movement has like 
designated a month like um, Mary has the month of May and uh, October. January is the month of the Roe v. Wade right. decision. Mm-hmm. And so the March for Life in right. D.C. and in, in many nation capitals uh, is always in January. So yeah. it seems that January is the time that a lot of pro-life talk gets, uh, gets revved up. I believe last year, uh, I think it was in January, you gave a very memorable homily uh, about the, the pro-life movement and, and um, a, a very uh, specific story that maybe yeah. you'll share later on the podcast. But yeah. uh, it's, it's the pro-life month, so we wanted to have you on to talk um, to talk pro-life. What's going on in the movement? How, how do we live out our pro-life call as, as, as Catholics once we all decided that we are you know for life? Okay, well, mm-hmm. what's next? So, um, what are your thoughts? Where, where do we begin this conversation, Deacon Mike? Wow, I, where do you begin that? Um, you know, I, I, I was thinking about that when you asked me to come on the podcast. And in the fall, I taught a class on morality at the seminary for deacons in formation. And so, um, that a bit, one of the classes was dedicated to the fifth commandment. So we talked a lot about, of course, that comes to life issues. And so when we think about it, January Roe versus Wade, all that, that's about abortion, you know, anti-abortion. And, um, but there's so many other life issues. And um, that's, you, you know, when you dwell on the fifth commandment, you think about all the threats there are to life. It's, it's huge. And so that's, you know, where do you begin with that? That's, that was where I was kind of pondering. Right. Well, something as broad as uh, you know, world hunger, you know, that, that's yeah. a, that's ultimately a a pro-life issue, yeah. Um, you know, in that people, there are people who are dying from lack of food and that kind of thing. So yeah, right. It, it's but about as broad as it can get. Right, and the, and then you know, and part of that is, is there's just nothing so grossly anti-life as to take the life of the helpless, mm-hmm. and you know, and and of course that's the you know sometimes the elderly that are the, that are let to die, or you know we let the hungry or or whatever, whatever people are suffering, and we let that die. But of course, um, a, a fetus, it's, a, yeah. you know, a baby, and it's the place where it should be most protected in its mother's womb. It's, we, we let that go, and we let that become a, a, an acceptable thing when it should be a crime. Yeah, the church um, maintains that I, this, this idea that when bad stuff happens, the poor are affected most. Uh, yeah. I mean, yes. that's a, kind of a universal truth, but yes. uh, you can tell when, when Harvey comes to town, uh, some are affected worse than others. Uh, and with abortion, the, so poor meaning not just monetarily poor, but just right. like without anything. So so when bad things happen, like the situations that come to abortions, lots of bad things are happening, but the, the poorest in that situation is that helpless fetus, and they're obviously right. affected most uh, by you know, not beginning to come to life, you know? <laughs> right. So, Right. So, um, I do think uh, sometimes Deacon Mike, we 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 talk as Catholics. We're, we're talking about pro life. We 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 want to be anti abortion. We want mm-hmm. to affirm the dignity mm-hmm. of uh, of these unborn children. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I hear these homilies, or, or I go to these talks, and I look around, and everyone's kind of nodding, and they're all like, "Yeah, that's true. Yeah, life does begin at conception. Yeah, yeah. we should we should pass laws. We should do this. We should do that. Yeah." And I'm like, okay, yeah. sounds like we're doing it. You know, like what yeah. are we doing? Are we living with the pro-life movement? And what can we do besides go to a talk every now and then and, and nod our heads when uh, the, the homily comes up every year? What, what, are, what should, really should we be doing um, as a pro-life people to end abortion in 
uh, in this country. So um, I'm a sports guy, so I, I like to go with sports analogies. And so, you know, I mean, what's, what every game you play is about winning, right? And so, so you have to ask yourself, if you're really serious about winning, what does winning look like? And, and so in the pro-life movement, I would say, I mean, winning obviously is the end to abortion. Um, you can, it's completely gone. Um, it doesn't happen. So, so a big step in that direction is to make it illegal because that may, that's a huge discouragement. But, but then, um, then you have to ask yourself, are you prepared to win? And, mm. and so, and the answer to that, I think is, is a gigantic no. You know, what if abortion, what if, what if we woke up tomorrow and this, like, you know, we've been talking about this Dobbs case for the Supreme Court. What if we woke up that the Supreme Court ruled in favor of life and then we end up with, with no abortions? What do we do? Because all of a sudden, there's all these women who have these babies that, yay, they're going to be born. But then how do they feed them and where do they go and, and how, where do they get help? Um, and, and we're blessed in our area. We have some, we have some great places where they can go, um, like Loving Choice Pregnancy Center. Um, it's relatively new and growing, and, and they've been doing wonder, wonderful work. Uh, Catholic, they're a Catholic pregnancy center. Um, we have Pregnancy Assistance Center North (PACN) that's on the freeway. So, so Loving Choice in Spring, we have PACN uh, near the Woodlands and in Conroe. You know, they provide those kinds of supports as a whole. You know, what are we doing to support those organizations? What are we doing to put those actions into place to be, to be the hands and feet of Christ to the to the people who need it so badly when when they have these babies? So, what do those organizations do day to day? PACN, Loving Choice. Uh, what exactly are they? Are uh, are their missions? So they're there to support life, right? Their main clients are, are typically w- uh, young women who who are pregnant and just don't know what to do. I think about our, our, our story, which uh, my wife and I, um, we were convinced that she couldn't get pregnant. And so we got married. And um, on the honeymoon, guess what? She got <laughs> pregnant. <laughs> so, you know, I'm thinking, so we're, we're, we were a young couple. We, were, we, we just graduated college. So we were educated. Um, we were about to move to Atlanta for me to go to graduate school. Um, you know, we didn't have any money. We didn't know what this meant. We, you know, what does it mean to be pregnant and have a baby and be parents? And, and we didn't know any of this stuff. And, and like, oh, my gosh, we never trained to be parents. How do we mm-hmm. handle this? And, and we had loving and supportive families that were so happy to have a grandchild. But take all that away, you know, take away, you know, take away the husband, take away the, take away the supporting families and just the woman who walks in the door and says, I'm pregnant. I have no idea what to do. I don't know what this means. I don't know how to handle it. Um, should I get an abortion? Should I have the baby? And so they walk into Loving Choice or PACN and, um, you know, they'll give them, they'll make sure they get a doctor's exam. They'll, they'll, they try to provide an ultrasound because, um, you know, ultrasounds are so important. That Show. It's, yeah, yeah, it makes it real. So right, right. Because even, you know, I think about our kids. You know, your kids, when, when, you're, when you're pregnant, the kids aren't like a real person yet in your mind. Like you don't know their name and what they look like and you don't have a face. And, and so, but when you see that ultrasound, it's everything becomes real. You see the hands and feet and head and spine and kidneys. And it's just, and so they, they provide that so the, the mothers can see that. And then... Um, and then give them support, uh, you know, help them with the, their material needs, help them with their spiritual needs, um, 
you know, provide those things so that they, they know that somebody's there for them. Yeah, it's funny uh, how how much things can change with a, with a pregnancy, even in your situation where you're, you, you, like you said, you're educated and you have a, uh, a pretty good future in front of yeah. you. It still is like a it's scary thing. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm almost 30. And I, I just got married. I'm not announcing that we're pregnant here, but we, we've been talking about, like, when do we want to start having yeah. kids? And we're like, should we, go, should we go ask someone's permission first? And it's like, no, yeah. no one's going to give you permission. Yeah. You just, you're just on your own with, that, yeah. with this decision. So I can only imagine those kids who are, you know, 16 or, or, yeah. or my age, but in a far different situation where they, like, I don't know where the food is going to come from. Yeah. They're like, no, no one's giving them permission. No one's like, okay, here's what you do now. Yeah. They're, you're just, you it's like figure it out. Yeah. And so these places like Loving Choice are those places where they can go and ask for, uh, for advice and um, or helping hand, and they at least will have a path forward rather than just this mess of options that all seem equally bad, yeah. you know. Okay, so Loving Choice is a place, can people volunteer there, or are they, uh, I know that we support them, St. Anthony's, uh, through a lot of our drives, Advent Drive, um, mm-hmm. uh, things like that. Yeah. Part of those proceeds, or, or part of those gift boxes, end up at Loving Choice. Um, right. So, uh, have you, do you have any experience there, uh, like, firsthand? I, I've, I've visited there. I've visited both both those places I mentioned. Um, I haven't done any volunteering with the women. That's uh, which is actually kind of one of my life goals. I oh, need wow. to. Uh, that was that was part of my homily. I you know I pointed out that like I've if you if you ask me how many abortions I've prevented, I can't name one. I mean maybe I maybe I have. I I, I don't know, but I, I can't. I've never been in the room with somebody and who's wanted an abortion and said you know let me let me let me help you because you don't want to do that. Um, so, so that's something, it's definitely something I want to do. Um, you know, we, those, those organizations, they do need people. They need people to, to, to act, to, to help receive any, any of their visitors, any, any of their clients that come in. They also, of course, need financial support because one of the hardest things, you know, Loving Choice is, like I said, it's still pretty young. Um, they've done a fabulous job of, of getting it going and God's gifted them with so many things. But at the same time, you know, uh, a charitable organization, you don't know, you don't know what your, your uh, paycheck is month to month. You know, you, you kind of survive on donations that come in, w- one here and one there. So, so that's one of the things I know that, that they always need is just somebody who's willing to consistently donate so they have a, they have a, a stable income, so to speak. Wow. What about pro, pro-adoption and that kind of thing? We need to provide opportunities for for the life that we just saved, right? We're, we're telling people, don't kill that baby. Well, then the baby's born. Okay, well, what do you do? Well, well, we can support the mom, but sometimes the mom, think about a high school girl. This kid obviously is going to change her life completely. Yeah. And so so maybe she wants to maybe she wants that baby to be with her the rest of her life and she wants her she's 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 okay with her life changing but she might not be and so she might offer it for adoption and and who's going to take that child and so yeah the, the Catholics absolutely we need support um, whatever we can uh, for that child and including adoption that's huge that is a gigantic work of charity to to 
invite a person into your home who's going to be there forever. Yes. Who's going to be part of your life. Um, like I said, with a, with us, with our first one, we were shocked, surprised, didn't know what to do. We were wondering what this was going to do to our lives, but we didn't. It just it was something that was placed there. You know, God gave us uh, this gift, but at the same time, it's a, it's a challenge that just appeared. Well, adoptive parents choose that challenge, mm-hmm. and they that that takes an enormous amount of love. I am always in awe of parents who. You see, they have an adoptive child that they have. They always do the same thing. It, it, they treat it like it was. Like the, they birthed the child. Yeah. You know, this baby spent nine months with them before they, yeah, they didn't have any onboarding ramp at all. You yeah. know, they just all of a sudden had a child. I know there's a lot of paperwork and it's a very difficult process. And, right. Um, but yeah, I mean, just a shout out to all those yeah. uh, adoptive parents out there. Um because I, you know, I, in a way, that's that's that seems to be part of the end goal. Yeah. Uh, if if it's going to be a culture of life, then yeah, we need to be open to uh, adoption or fostering or yeah, I don't know, pave the way I, for that to be normalized in culture because it's still such a it's to me it's like a it's like a jarring or a shock. You know, oh wow, you you have you adopted a couple of kids and and it, it should be like. Yeah, like they adopted some kids. You adopted some kids. I mean, yeah, it would be great if 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 um, if we could adopt that because I think I do think that's a lot of what we get uh, from maybe the outside culture. You guys are so pro life until they're born, until this, until that. Um, yeah. and that's I don't think that's true. I think the church is the biggest charity in the world. Um, yeah. But uh, there's always more that can be done to help these very vulnerable people yeah. uh, whether they're the moms the kids yeah uh, everyone affected by this horrible industry yeah and and what you're saying there kind of leads me into something that i can easily get on a soapbox about and that is um you know one of the basic truths of our economy is supply and demand and um right now the the if you if you look at abortion that way i mean abortion the the demand comes when there's somebody who's desperate and doesn't know what to do um, with their pregnancy. Um, and so there are certain organizations that create the supply. And so to me, um, pursuing legislation and pursuing legal action and all that, that's super important. The church will always encourage us to do that. However, there aren't any laws against things that people don't want because you don't need the law, right? So if there was no demand for abortion, there wouldn't even need to be a law. If we created a society where people felt loved and supported and they knew all these amazing options they had once they became pregnant, who cares about abortion? It's not even on the list. And so if we could just do things, and it's funny that um, Evangelium Vitae is the encyclical that people always go to when they want to talk about, um, or they're talking about pro-life issues. It was Pope John Paul II, The Gospel of Life. What I thought was funny is that he, he starts near the beginning and he references Rerum Novarum, which was a, an encyclical written uh, on um, social issues and, and the workplace and, and just wage and all that kind of thing way back at the end of the 19th century by Pope Leo. And so, so it, that's the idea, is if you created an environment where people felt supported in general by society, then then abortion wouldn't be a consideration. I feel like as Catholics, that should be our goal, is to create that environment 
where it was it's not even something that enters somebody's mind. They feel so loved and supported by everybody around them. Yeah, that's like a, that culture of life idea where it um, yep. starts at home. I mean, yeah, that's one thing, I guess, if you're asking yourself, what can I do as a Catholic yeah. to be pro-life? Raise kids who are pro-life yeah. um, and have a family who is contagiously and you know vibrantly pro-life. We have all these confirmation kids, I think. I do think that... They're they're growing up in in, in a very pro life environment. I, yeah. I I have high hopes that our the two hundred and all the life team kids and all the youth ministry kids they're they're growing up saturated in this in a pro life atmosphere. And I, I I pray that they they do go out to their high schools now and then later their colleges and they mm-hmm. affect the culture in, in in that positive way where it's just like it's not even in their purview to pursue an abortion or anything like yeah. that. So, and I'll, I'll, I'll throw this out there too, is uh, you're talking about families that are pro-life. I think a, a gigantic part of that is making sure as parents that your, your children are willing to talk to you. Um, I'm going to be one of those snotty older parents that gives you advice, Nate. Yes. That, <laughs> that oh you, my gosh. You don't sign want. me up. No, I <laughs> love advice. Yeah. The, one of the things that, that Katie and I did when our kids were young is that, that, Four-year-olds and five-year-olds tend to talk a lot about nothing. Yeah, <laughs> babble. So, yeah, yeah. They they tell you all about their imaginary world that they just built with their Lincoln logs, yeah. and you're like, okay. What you want to do is go away and watch a watch a movie or something. But but just we listen to them, and and the message that we gave them by doing that was we're willing to listen, and, and I think. That's so important for later when they're when they're thirteen and eighteen and twenty five and thirty that they that they know mom and dad are willing to listen so if, so if things get really out of whack I know where I can go and and that's that pro life piece right so when they when they get into that struggle when they know if they get into a position where they have to make a decision like that that they know they can go back to mom and dad and, and mom and dad are going to listen and, and support them and love them. Yeah, to have kids who instinctively tell you what happened rather than I got to hide this from mom and dad. Yeah. You know? And I, that doesn't yeah. mean being a pushover and, and saying like, <laughs> you won't be, you know, nothing bad will happen. Uh, right. But to know that like I would rather yeah. my dad and mom know about this and because they will be able to guide me in, in this situation. Yeah, and or, you know. Yeah, and you want you want to be the first person on the list when they say, "Oh my gosh, I'm in a horrible situation." You want to be the first person on the list oh they think gosh, to, I would love to contact. To. That's it. that is great advice. I, I, my wife is very patient, so uh, she'll she'll be able, we'll be able to listen to these chatty kids. She's also very chatty, so I think we're gonna have some chatty some chatty <laughs> kids. Uh, but we'll see. It's beautiful. There's there's so much to do. There's so much to talk about. Uh, there and there's. There's a lot uh, going on in the church that is pro-life uh, uh-huh. coming up. But before we get to those three things, I was wondering if you could share your 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 pro-life story. You have this really magnificent, like, yeah. kind of all comes together in, in, in this uh, this story. You shared it in a homily last year. Would you share it again uh, on the podcast? Yeah, I, I think I, I, I probably won't do as good of a job because um, every once in a while I go back and I'm like, I wonder – what did I say in that homily? And, and I'll watch it. And like, I, that was definitely from the Holy spirit. Cause I, I was like, how did I do that? Um, and you know, I ended up giving it at every mass that weekend. And I, and I, 
I, the first time I cried, and then um, I told myself, oh, by the end of this, I'm, I'm definitely going to be too tired to cry. No, I cried at uh. mass. <laughs> <laughs> Even in Spanish, it was, I was crying. How do you cry in Spanish? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, you, 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 I did it. How yeah, about sure, that? Sure, yeah, sure. yeah. So, I mean, the story, I, I guess, pretty simple is just that uh, my grandma – um, was she had five kids and um, five great kids, five um, healthy ones. There, everything went fine. Um, and she uh, she got pregnant with my mom, and her sister had um, was not real thrilled at the idea because after her fifth kid, she had been my grandma had been advised that another kid would be super dangerous mm-hmm. for her. And so you know this is the this is the 1940s, so we, they don't have uh, ultrasounds. They don't have the medical technology. They just know you were in bad shape after your fifth one. A sixth one is not a good idea. So my grandma and her sister actually had been through an extremely rough time when they were young because um, my, my grandma was the youngest of her family and youngest because her mom died about a month after she was born. Her dad died not too long later, so... So her sister Alice was in charge of. She, she became. She was oldest. She became the one in charge of taking care of the family. She got. She became a nurse. She um, she earned a, enough money to send my grandma to a boarding school. Um, they had. They they lost some of their siblings. They, there was all this death in their family. And so my my aunt did everything she could to take care, to take care of my grandma through her life. And so she, of course, loved her dearly, had suffered so much. And so when my grandma got this news that she was pregnant, my, my aunt just said, look, you can't do this. You, you need to abort this child. Oh, my gosh. And so my aunt is a lovely human being. My, Alice, she – so I, I don't want the story ever to put any kind of black mark on her because th- th- that's exactly what I'm talking about. And that's where kind of the heart of the story comes from. Imagine Alice's position where her she family thought had been, she was doing the right thing for her sister. Yeah, and her family's been decimated, and her her heart's breaking at the mm-hmm. idea that she could lose somebody else. Yeah. And it just that's so hard. And so um, that was her advice to my grandma. My grandma, um, very thankfully, uh, yeah. for my existence hinged on this moment. Uh, <laughs> so um, she, my my grandma, you know, she felt loved and supported. She had that love and support from her husband, from her kids. So she, she just said, "No, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to have this baby, and if it means I die, I die." Well, my grandma did not die. Um, my mom was born, and um, yeah, the rest is history. It, Holy it's, cow! Yeah. So. And here you are, yeah. able to podcast uh, sixty years later. That's amazing. right. That's right. Long time later. So yeah, but it, it's. I think you know some of the messages from that story to me are. Or how important it is to provide the support to the women who are struggling with that decision, and and also a big part of that homily that I think this is this makes me cry, just just thinking about it is is the the idea that um, anybody who's had an abortion, I think when we have all this pro life talk and anti abortion talk, you know, women who have had an abortion are dealing with pain. They made that decision in pain. They they continue to have pain and so man we got to show them some love and and invite them back to to you know 
to to seek forgiveness for for that to go to confession to to come to come to the church and be part because we we love those people and right. and we, we love everybody we all have sins and God calls us to to get forgiveness for that and to to be one with him so w- those women are in the same boat and suffering so much so yeah a good reminder to never lose compassion for any of yeah. this stuff you know right. we, we talk about legislation and we yep. sit here in our clean rooms and talk about uh the the end of abortion but just a reminder that the women who are pursuing abortions aren't necessarily excited about it right you know, it's right. it's a heart-wrenching decision so we never should lose compassion for their situations and for them as you know, they're human beings and um so that uh, your story is a great reminder that these these people uh, are not vague statistics. Yeah, they're women named Alice and yeah. Grandma Crawl. Uh, I, I don't know if I <laughs> said her name, but um, yeah, they're they're women with uh, with with lives and and hearts, and, and they're pursuing it for a reason that that they think is very good. So yeah, I love that story. That's that's beautiful. And here you are. Beacon Mike. Yes. Many years later. Many, 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 many. Very many, cool. many years later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why my beard is great. <laughs> okay, so there are, are there are a few uh, pro-life events going on in, in the area that we do want to invite you to. Um, Generation Vitae is a uh, group of pro-life leaders. It's uh, billed as the next generation of young pro-life leaders in the Houston Diocese. Uh, Houston Coalition for Life is putting it on, so... Uh, it's a kickoff party in at Armadillo Palace down in Houston. You can find more information at ap.church. That's on January 19th at 6 p.m. Our very own Mike Gormley is uh, the keynote speaker at that kickoff party. So, boy, it's going to be a rager. Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> Look forward to that. Um, additionally, this Friday, uh, Friday evening, I have a day, starting a day of prayer for the unborn. So starting with a holy hour in the church at 9 p.m. on Friday. Uh, January 21st, followed by all-night adoration. <laughs> and then uh, the next morning, that Saturday, the 22nd, Mass will be a special pro-life Mass, I sp- like with the, the, the liturgy, the prayers all directed towards being pro-life. So um, you can you can sign up for that for an a- adoration hour um, at ap.church slash prayer. Um, come at 2 in the morning to pray for uh, the end of abortion. Could be kind of cool. That's all right. Uh, bring your kids. And then... Um, yeah, finally, we're, uh, a bus is coming. It's going from the Woodlands to Austin on uh, the 22nd. That's that's uh, Saturday, uh, January 22nd. Uh, they're going for the Rally for Life. Um, so we, we mentioned it earlier, all, all throughout the country, probably in, in most of the capitals and at D.C., there's going to be uh, rallies for life the, that that day. I've been to the March for Life in D.C. It's, it's pretty amazing. Uh, the number of people, the cause is, is backed by so many people. It was, it was freezing and raining That's both awesome. times, but I think Austin would be a lot better uh, location to March for Life than <laughs> than D.C. in January. But uh, you can sign up um, by going to ap.church slash events. You'll, you'll see more information there. Uh, Deacon Crow, thanks for coming on the podcast. Absolutely. Thank you, Nate. Glad to be here. We'll talk to you soon. All right. All right.